Good morning, brothers and sisters. After yesterday, um, <clears throat> we heard a beautiful message yesterday, and already today what Brother Richard shared on having our hearts prepared. I'm very blessed with uh, the few words that he did share, and it's something that will go together really well. What I want to share I want to say amen to that. I want to um, welcome everyone that's here, including myself, of course. Um, thank you, brothers, for the invite. For We had a tremendous blessing with uh, all the brothers and sisters here so far. Um, my message this morning is for all of our hearts. And my question to all of us, who are you? Why do you do the things you do? And where are you going from here? And what will matter truly in the end? So, Today, this morning, somebody told me that Brother John used the illustration of the three little pigs in school. And I don't know how many of you know it, but the three little pigs were actually written on a biblical uh, analogy. Um, now, the new version, and I want to talk about it a little bit, actually. But the new version of the three little pigs, uh, most of you know the story. The children all probably know the story of the three little pigs. And the message is for the children, too. So when, the, when they went out to, to build their houses, and we'll get to Matthew 25, too, but when, when they went out to build their houses, they built with certain material, right? Um, the first one built with straw, and the second one built with sticks, and the third one built with bricks, now, in the new version, um, they simplify this story quite a bit. And I want to say that's what we see in Christianity today. We simplify this story quite a bit in the way we look and uh, the way the Christian world is looking at the worldview that they have. Anyway, it doesn't say much what the three little pigs were up to. In the new version of the three little pigs. Now, I don't know how many of you are old enough to know the old version of the three little pigs. It's written quite a bit different, actually. Um, in the new version, they went out and this one little pig got his straw and he built his house. So he had time to play and do his things that he did. The second version, uh, no, on the, on the, the second pig went out to do his thing with the uh, with the sticks, and he did the same thing. So, and it gave him more time to, to play and to do whatever he does for his own flesh. And the third pig um, went out, and he took time to find a good building material, and. Uh, <clears throat> He gathered bricks, and he built this brick house that was very stable. Now, in the new version, you see that the, the wolf came, and he 
we blew in the houses, right? And uh, the straw just blew away. And, uh, and then the first little pig ran to the second pig's house. And then the wolf came and he blew away the sticks. And they both ran to the third little pig's house. And I'm sorry to say, but that's how most Christians think of Christianity today. We can run to the next little pig's house and find safety. Um, the old version does not say that. It actually says that the first little pig went out to gather his straw. And the reason he went out to gather his straw so he could live his life of luxury and, and his life of pleasing his own flesh. So he had a lot of time to do that. He didn't want to take time to build his house with good material. <clears throat> but what it, the, the biggest kicker here is on the first and second little pig is when they went out and built their houses on, with straw and with, with uh, sticks, it says that the wolf came and he blew their house down. And then it says that he ate the pig. The new version says that they ran to the next house. But the first version actually said that they ate the pig. And that is a, I want to touch on that analogy today. Um, our lives that we live, who you are today, what you are, makes a big difference in your outcome. The wolf is going to eat the pig. The pig will not run to the next house and find safety. Um, and the analogy there is actually, it's a beautiful biblical analogy on how you live your life and what you, um, um, the Hararites have this saying, and it says, Now, I, I struggle with that saying to a point, okay, because it's not, it's the choices, every choice we make and everything we do has consequences. But I feel our people use it a little bit wrong in how they think of how good they are is where they're, they're that's going to get them to heaven. Uh, they, they can, like, I, I have uncles that would say, my, my good, the good has to outweigh the bad. And... It's a wrong way of thinking. It's a wrong philosophy. Um, but yes, there, there better be good in our lives. And it's the choices we make and the sticks and the straw that we pick up to build our houses or the bricks, the, the things we take that take time um, to build a good, strong house is, makes all the difference in the world. Um, <clears throat> Matthew 25, if you want to turn there, uh, we'll read from verse 31. Now, a lot of those old stories that we read, um, <clears throat> the analogies that they were written under were actually fairly well, fairly good, and they were actually, a lot of them were written from uh, on a biblical thinking to to try to catch on the young people and the young children the importance of building on the prop with the proper things and the proper material. 
that that was the goal initially, and like everything else, um, Hollywood and Disney has taken all that out and basically tried to smear everything together. And you know, in the end, everything is good, right? And that's what we see in our society today. Um, doesn't matter who you are, how you live, what you do. In the end, you know what? It'll all be good. And that that's what's trying to be portrayed now. But from the beginning, it was not so. <clears throat> People actually had uh, common sense back then, it seems like. Not that there aren't people with common sense today. There's just not so many. Evil prevails. So in Matthew 25, verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and his holy angels and sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and she shall separate one from another, and the shepherd divided the sheep and the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left hand. And shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, and heard the kingdom that is prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in, naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came to me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungry and fed thee and thirsty and gave you drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in and naked and clothed thee? When saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, insomuch as you do unto those little ones, to the least of my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then shall he say to them on his left, Depart from me, ye cursed, from everlasting fire, prepare for the devils and his angels. For I was hungry, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in, naked, and ye clothed me not, sick and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall answer and saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungry and thirsty, and a stranger, and naked, and sick, or in prison, and not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer and saying, Verily I say unto you, insomuch as ye have done to the least of these, ye did, or did not to the least of these, ye did not unto me. And these shall go away to everlasting punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So my question to us this morning, does it matter what you do? Does it matter how you look at life? Does it matter what material you use to build your life? Does it really matter? Now, um, <clears throat> I had a privilege in my younger life. When I was 17, I left. Graysville, and I moved to Sioux Falls, and most of you know that I was there for about four, four and a half years, and I had a privilege of attending uh, Evangelical Church. I also had a privilege of attending a charismatic church for a time.
And it's easy for a group like us sitting here. It's very easy for us to overreact to our past. It's very easy for us to take what we grew up with and see all the bad in it. When I left Graysville, I was a very bitter young man. I never wanted to see anything conservative. Um, at that point, uh, Fulton and those churches were not there when I left Graysville in 98. And, uh, but there were some young people that came to visit. I remember Marcus and uh, Jennifer and Lunny's kids came to visit us in Sioux Falls. They would always preach to us. And uh, the more they, they would preach to us, the more we would go like this. Because we had been taken out of what we felt was um, prison, almost. And we felt we were under this extreme bondage growing up. And uh, where I grew up, I, I have to say there was not much love lost for each other. Um, I didn't love my fellow man or anything like it. In fact, we, we hated each other uh, to the point where uh, things got physical at times through some of the um, members of the church, if you want to call it that. But anyway, the moral of the story was I, was I left there and I was bitter to... Um, I was bitter and full of hate. And anything that I saw that reflected anything from what I grew up in, I repelled. My spirit repelled. And rightfully so in, in some ways. But the problem was I, I got this concept in, in the churches that I made myself. And, and I had this young, young man that, it took me under his wings. His name was Jason. He was also from Graysville. He took me under his wings and he, uh, he helped me to stay away from drugs and stuff like that. And I'm very thankful for him. I've, I've actually specifically, especially made a trip to see him, to thank him for what he did for me. And I know he did it because of his heart for the Lord. Um, but my state, when I left the, the colony, was not good. I was, uh, everybody knew me as carefree. I didn't really care about living or dying or whatever. I, I loved life. Um, I, uh, I was a people person, lots of friends. Did a lot of crazy stuff. But Jason took me, and, and every time something was going to go down, and the place I stayed at actually was a, kind of a drug house. Um, my boss was an alcoholic, 
for the first half, three-quarter year when I was gone from the colony. I was exposed to to all that too. But every time something was going to go down in the house, Jason lived there too, and he was a born-again believer. He would take me out of there and say, hey, let's go do this. And I'm so grateful that that God put somebody there to help me, to to keep me from those deep pits. And um, but it didn't change my bitterness. It didn't change my hatred. But one thing it did do. Jason lived there in a house. His brother was um, was an alcoholic, and he uh, he had drug parties and whatnot at all. But Jason made choices in his life willfully. And I know at times it, it was probably tough for him to, to do this because the, the, the what's the word? <laughs> pressure was so great. The pressure to stay and to enjoy whatever was rolled out before us was great. It truly was. But he took specific and made specific choices. He took specific steps and made choices to step out of it. When he knew there was something going on, he made a choice to step out of it. Anyway, um, what I want to say with, with that story of the three little pigs, they made choices to build their houses. And it, it's a dumb, um, in, in a way, we, we see it as a childish story, right? But they made specific choices in their lives that landed them up for destruction or to be saved. And I want to say the choices that people make, that you and I make, no matter who we are, where we are, the choices you make, are choices that are going to affect when you stand before God. As we read here in Matthew 25, we're standing before God someday. And the choices we make will determine our destiny. Years ago, about 30 years ago, or 25, maybe 25 years ago, I watched this movie. And uh, I still remember the saying, and if somebody, one of, some of you have seen it, you, you will maybe remember it too. In there, there was this saying that this one guy said towards the end of the movie, a very brutal movie, that said that he said in there, the choices you make today will echo in eternity. And I want to say, as we, met, as we read Matthew 25, we can see how the choices that we do, simple things that we do affect our eternal destiny, right? It's like in the three little pigs. The choices they did and why they did it affected their outcome in life. If our heart, if mine and your heart, are to fulfill the desires of our flesh and to have a simple Christianity, the outcome is going to be exactly what we see on the three little pigs. 
A lot of people say, you know, and I, again, when I go back to my days in the evangelical and the, the charismatic church, I've had to, when I, when I got converted at the age of 20, I got converted. Maybe I was 19, I'm not sure. And the first thing that happened to me is my bitterness and my hatred left. That was one of the very first things that happened to me. Because I saw before God who I am, and that left me. And I've never thought any bitter or hateful feelings towards any of the people I had before. Ever since, I was totally freed from it. And to this day, some of the people that treated me the worst, my desire is to, to someday be able to actually go up and just give them a hug and tell them I love them. That's my desire now, and it's been for years. And I've actually tried on different occasions to do that to people that I know hated me. Um, and it didn't go over too well. But anyway, the, the, when I got converted, by the time I probably went to evangelical church for two years before I got converted. And I learned a lot. Um, and I learned how people think and how Christianity thinks. And, and I'm wondering sometimes we fall into the same trap in Christianity. And there's many beautiful God-fearing people in those churches. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of people I love that I spend a lot of time with. The pastor there, Pastor Randall Anderson was his name. He had a fear of God, and he had a love for the Lord that you couldn't deny. Um, the problem was, is exactly what we have here. Choices. Choices on what we build on. Where are we going, and what are our fruits producing? If you look at your lives, and all of us, a lot of us are married and have children, what are our fruits producing? The choices we make, what's the outcome of those choices? What's important in life, in other words? Now, a lot of people in a lot of churches and a lot of mindsets, are they converted or not, have a mindset that God is a gracious God. And it's all for the grace of God. And, and Paul said, but for the grace of God, there go I. And it's true. It's very true. But yet it can be very deceptive. And that's one thing I've had to come from where I grew up in Graysville from the hatred and despising everything that I was brought up with, I've had to come almost 360. Now, I'm not saying that I'm going back to Graysville or I'm even liking the fruits or I'm even... Um, I'm talking about in my heart. I'm not talking about how they do things. 
I've had to change my attitude because of the work that Christ has done in me totally about people and how I look at people. And I think it's extremely essential as we make choices in your and I's life, it's essential to make the right choices. Otherwise, the outcome is going to be that we're going to get eaten, totally destroyed. Right. And it's these choices, these little choices, it's often little things that we don't see. Brother Gary always talks about the little foxes that come in and destroy the vineyard. It's often those little things where we feel, oh, the Lord is going to be gracious here. And I want to say, you can come to a point, and I can come to a point, and I was there. I was part of a charismatic church in Sioux Falls at one point where we would go. Now, we had a youth, youth group. We were always together. We did everything together. And we had a blast together. We had a lot of fun together. Um, we had a lot of prayer meetings. We had a, a lot of singings. We had uh, Bible studies together. Um, the problem is we did other things together, too. That were not so edifying. And the attitude and the mindset we went into with these things is where the killer was. <clears throat> I remember one time we were decided we we're going to go watch this movie. And uh, we knew it was not the best movie to watch. So we got together and we decided, we, you know what, we all want to watch it. Our flesh wants to see it. And there's choices. Our flesh wants to see it, so we would sit down and get in a group and we'd pray that God would be gracious before we did it. And I'm, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you can come to that mindset. It's a crazy way of thinking, but we can come there. And what it's going to do, it's going to totally destroy our outcome. It's going to kill us. Now we can have beautiful singing evenings. We had a beautiful singing evening last evening. I had one or two days ago. And they're precious. They're beautiful. But we can go to a singing evening and have that kind of mindset where, you know what? I can make choices, little things in my life, and do things in my life that God is going to be gracious. Because he's a gracious God. And he is a gracious God. But we shouldn't mock grace and we shouldn't mock God right and I've personally found myself doing things like that where I made little choices and I knew in my heart don't go there but I felt you know what God is gracious and now if you look at the new illustration of the three little pigs it makes total sense to me on why they rewrote it. And it's part of the evangelical, frankly, circle. And it's also part of the world view of things. And we should not be part of that viewpoint. That viewpoint is no matter what choices you make, no matter what life you live, God is gracious. 
You can run to the next house and be safe. Or you can run, when the next one gets blown down, you run to the next one and you find safety. In the end, everything is okay. God does not work like that. And we see here, we see it here in Matthew 25. When he says he separates the sheep and the goats. Now, a lot of people don't have that mindset in their hearts. A lot of Christians don't have it, that he's going to separate the sheep and the goats. The goats asked, when did we see you thirsty or hungry or in prison or naked? When did we see you? They actually asked that question. And he said, whatever you did to the least of these, you have done it or did not unto the least of these, you have not done it unto me. Right? So there was this mindset there to maybe do some good, even in the goats. Now, the sheep had a change of heart. They had something from within their inner being that drove them. And those are the ones when God, when you stand before God, that he's going to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Those are the ones where it flows from, where the Holy Spirit has penetrated you and changed your life that are going to stand before God and be justified. And in the end of the three little pigs, in the old version, the wolf came down the chimney and they had this boiling water with fire and he fell in there and he was destroyed and they ate him they ate the, the wolf so instead of the wolf eating them they ate the wolf and the analogy here is this that if you make right choices and build on the right foundation and it's all about building on the right foundation and making the right choices the beast, the devils, the demons, the things in your own fleshly desires and my fleshly desires will have no power over us. And in the end, they'll be destroyed. It's a total life analogy there in that little story. So we build on the rock, right? You build on the rock. Don't build on the sand. Um, I'm going to twist a little bit. I'm not changing the subject. Just going to twist a little bit here. Richard and I talked about this. I, I told him, you know what, Rich? I have three different messages prepared. And I'm not sure which ones to share, which one to go on. <clears throat> but I'm going to take a little bit of a, a twist here. In, my, in how we, we grew up. Most of you grew up in a Hutterite community or some kind of conservative setting, okay? And you have all have mindsets on how things are supposed to be, right? We all have mindsets on how things are supposed to be now because of how we grew up, the things that we were taught, put different things in our minds, right? And... Uh, As we grew up, most of us grew up under what we would say under the law. 
And the last it says is a runway for an airplane to be lifted up so it can fly. The schoolmaster, the largest schoolmaster. Have you ever met somebody that was extremely undisciplined growing up? They got converted. Have you ever met a person like that? I have. Have you ever seen how their life was after they got converted? I know brothers and sisters that had extremely undisciplined life. They got converted. And because of their undisciplined life that they had before, it doesn't just change overnight. Let me tell you. They have struggled and struggled and struggled and struggled to get their body and their their whole being disciplined. So it's the choices we make and it's the law that we grew up under. And that's where my mindset had to come to 360. A lot of you have families, a lot of you have children. Why do we discipline our children? Why did your mom and dad discipline you? Even the older brothers. Why did your mom and dad discipline you? Now, some parents discipline their children because they do it out of anger or whatever. But for the most part, our parents disciplined us because they want to see something beautiful come out of us, right? They wanted us to turn out to, what was the word? Uh, to be stable. They wanted us to be stable. And most of our parents had a concept, if we are disciplined in our lives and are under the law, um, it can help us further down in our lives. The problem is, on a lot of places we grew up, that kept on being pushed down the throat. The law. The law. And growing up, I was pretty young when I left the community. But that's what I had been, that's what I had heard all my life. And in itself, you know, it's not so bad. But if you or I continuously are bombarded with such still and full, what will happen to you? Scripture says that the law bringeth death. You will die. You actually will. If you continuously are under the law, you will die. And that's, this is where I want to put my twist on now. Now, our mindset in Christianity can be three things. Three. And as we see, the way we see Christianity can be three things. Now, I remember there's a time in Elmendorf, and I still apologize to the Brotherhood here for it. There's a time in Elmendorf and to some of the, the charity churches. Also, there should be an apology going out to them. <clears throat> um where a spirit came in where in our young people, 
we thought we had everything figured out. And some of you knew us then. And it was actually a pretty sad state that we were in. We thought we had everything figured out. We had really no tolerance for different people. And we didn't have a lot of friends either, by the way. In fact, at one point, we didn't, the young people decided they're not going to go to Altona anymore because they're too liberal and whatever. So we actually put ourselves under the law. There was not much grace. We were at that state about in 2005 or 2006, and I remember it very vividly in my heart. Now, not everybody in Almondorf was like that, but there was a group there that was like that. And when we saw something that was not exactly like we did it, we condemned it because we had it figured out. That's one group, and we were Christians. We were born again. Now, there's another group that could have seen grievances or even things that they wouldn't quite agree with and be gracious and work with it. And that's a Christian where the grace of God has taken hold of you and you know from where you come from, from the depths and the pits of where you come from, and you want to make a difference and you want to help other people be delivered from either lawlessness or sin or be under the law, but you're a gracious person and you want to help. And that's where God wants you. Now, there's another aspect of Christianity where a lot of people go because of a reaction of how they grew up, and that is into liberalism. And it's Christian liberalism. Now, the grace, if you're under that grace, it produces a beautiful Christian that people love to be around and that can make a difference in person's life. And that's where God wants you. The second one, being under that law, produces a Pharisee, which I was. First, I was a lawless liberal. Then I was a Pharisee. And now I hope by the grace of God, I can be gracious and actually be a person that loves the Lord and that loves people and loves his people. The third produces a rebel, which is being a liberal, produces a rebel. If we like it or not, it produces rebels that have no goal and no zeal and everything's good. And as we read Matthew 25, not everything is good. Not everything we do in the name of God is good. Not everything we want to do is good. The one that is led by the Spirit of God is surrendered. You will see your life for what it is. You let God do his work in you, and you'll be a gracious person. The one that is under the law struggles and fights and fights, and this is not good enough, and that I have to change. And yes, we need to change things in our own being. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in other people. One that's under the law would always want to change things in other people, not in themselves. Now things need to be changed in people. 
I get that. And as an elder, as as pastors, we see things that we don't like and we want them to go a different direction. But what? how are we handling it? And that's going to make the whole difference in the world of the outcome of the of the person. The third person that's a liberal does not care. He couldn't care less. He doesn't care whether you're part of um, a church that has all kinds of sin and divorce and whatnot all. They don't care. You know, everybody's a Christian. We're all under grace and everything's good. Um, so there's three different things that, that things produce. When Jesus Christ and the law of grace is in your life, you're like an artesian well that flows. And it bubbles from you and people drink it in. When you're under the law, you're like a forced pump. You have to fight and fight within yourself. You have to fight and you have to fight other people. And that's where we're coming from. That's where most of you grew up. You fight. And yes, we're to fight a good fight again. Now, there's some truth in all of the law. The law is a schoolmaster unto Christ. And we need to realize that. Don't overreact to it. But realize that it's a schoolmaster, and God has called you to fight a good fight. The third one, you'll see filth being pumped out of. It's also an artesian well pumping filth, if you're a liberal. If you're somebody that doesn't really care about life. Like, I'm going to go back. When I first left the community, when I was 17, I was a carefree young man. I didn't get into drugs or anything like that. But yet, my fruit that came from me and that was pumping from me, it was nothing that brought any kind of life in a spiritual realm to anybody. It was pumping filth. And we need to see ourselves in the state if we are, if if the Lord Jesus is not in you, you need to see yourself as somebody that's actually pumping stuff that's going to bring destruction. If you put too much manure on land, like particular turkey manure, I remember back in Grazia, we were spreading turkey manure, and the farm boss told us to put it all all on 180. All the turkey manure we had, we put it on 180, uh, 80 acres. Every year in the same one. There was never a crop grown on that, never. And I don't think to this day it grows crops. What did it produce? Zero. Now, fertilizer is good if you put it across the... the, the, But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when our carnal nature and our carnal being, if we're just living like that to please our flesh, like the first little pig did, and we do things what we, that we have to do, to, you know, to appease our conscience. We'll never build on a solid rock. We'll never build with good material if we have that mindset. And eventually that stuff that's flowing from us is going to kill us. It has to. It can't. It overflows into a ground. It makes the ground infertile around us. And what it does, if we live in it too long, the grace of God is actually being pulled away further and further away because 
it contaminates more and more and more of your ground. And you have to go further and further to find the Lord. And um, I just I just praise God that he's a good and gracious father and that we can reach out. And if we reach out, his hand is extended to us. And I praise God for that. The man that's under grace is based on Christ. The one that's under law is not based on self. And a selfish person is based on self. And they cannot change that. So again, why do we do what we do? And what makes a difference in our life? In the world, what will make a difference? And... Um, in Matthew 7, no, Matthew 5, 17, it says he will, he will write a new law in our hearts. What is that new law? Why did the Old Testament law not work? Why does just pushing down somebody's throat not work? Because it brings forth death. And it's supposed to. The law is supposed to bring forth death. Did you know that? We're to die to ourselves, and that's what the law does. It says, don't murder. So we don't pick up a knife, we die to it, and we don't do it. Don't steal. You're supposed to die to stealing. Don't lie. Don't be unfaithful. That's dying, right, to our flesh. But it doesn't bring life. The law doesn't bring life, and it can't. But it's a, it's a runway, and it's a beautiful runway, and there's nothing wrong with it. But there's something greater. Something needs to bring us life. And that's the Holy Spirit. If we reach out, and that law, that schoolmaster that I despised for four and a half years or four years, now I know the discipline that that thing gave me was very precious in my life. And I can appreciate it. And I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, don't despise it. Appreciate it. But don't die under it. Because there's life. There's hope. <clears throat> How do you look at people? Who are the righteous? How do you judge people? We all know the story in John 8.2, I'm going to read it for you. John 8.2, it says, Early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. The law of Moses commands us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? What does thou say? They said to Jesus. And that was a test, right? It says, this they said, tempting him, that they might have accused, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So they then, they then continued to ask him. He lifted himself up and he said to them, 
He who is without sin, cast the first stone. And again he stooped down and rode underground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one. Beginning at the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and a woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up herself and saw none but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are your accusers? Had no man condemned thee? And then she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. How do you look at your fellow man? I'm not saying how do you accept the things your fellow man does. I'm saying how do you look at your fellow man? When you look at that woman, so according to our handling, if you would have put yourself in that spot, you knew the law, which you grew up with. You knew what was right and wrong. You knew adultery was wrong. And you knew that by the law says that that woman should be stoned. If you would have made that choice where Jesus was, where would that woman be? Where would she be in your heart? There's a time in my life she'd have been dead. And I wouldn't have even hesitated. There's a time in my life where I wouldn't have cared if she committed adultery or not. Where would you be today in you? And that should answer the question where you are at spiritually. Right? It actually should. It should answer the question where we're at spiritually. Wherever that woman would be in your heart, when, when, I, when, when you read this story... Let's say Jesus was not there and you had to make the choice. You didn't know how Jesus responded. Where would you be? I'm afraid with most of us, you'd probably be dead. <clears throat> what I mean by that, if, if we wouldn't have the teaching of Jesus and have the choices in life, she'd be dead. Just for how you grew up. Just for what you know. Just because you know what's right and wrong. On how you approach right and wrong makes all the difference in the world. You can be 100% right and be 100% wrong on how you approach it. And you know that. It's extremely important, particular for, for leading brothers to know that. But it's, would she still be living in her sin if it was you? Would she be dead or would she be changed just like she was from the inside out? He said, go and see no more. And that woman went out. And I'm not 100% sure. Um, we do know that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. We do know that she anointed Jesus. I'm not 100% sure, sure if that was her. Does the scripture say at one place it was? It really doesn't. Doesn't say, but not sure it wasn't her.
Now I want to, I'm going to close with that, but I want to, I want to ask you what's important in life again. As you look at your life and look at the importance of your life, look at what you have made for yourself. Every one of us has made something for ourselves, right? Every one of us has a mindset of who people are that made a big difference in our lives and in the world, right? I'm just going to use one because everybody is, a, a, a lot of people were charged by it. Everybody knows who Trump is, right? Pretty much. It was pretty famous. In 100 years, who's going to know who Trump was? Probably nobody. In fact, in 20 years, probably nobody. Does anybody of you know who was president 30 years ago? Anybody? Right off the bat of top of your head. Karen. Carter Reagan. So you know some of them, but you have no idea who actually was 30 years ago. I don't either, and I really don't care. But when he was president, he was a pretty important man, right? Does anybody know who won the Super Bowl five years ago? It was pretty important then, wasn't it, to a lot of people in the world. There's many more things. Does anybody know who the five wealthiest people are in the world? We have some idea. We really don't know. We probably know the first and the second one, maybe the third one, but we actually don't know. Now, these people have all made many choices in their lives, and they're famous in their time. But when you look at your life, and look at the choices you make. What's important? Now I want to ask you a different set of questions. And I want you to be honest. Can you list a few teachers who aided you and helped you in school? Anybody can do it right off the top of your head. Raise your hand. A lot of you can Can you name three friends that helped you through difficult times? Anybody? Can you do it right off the top of your head? We all can. Can you name somebody that has told you that God loves you, that you're appreciated? And you're a special person to them and before God. Every one of you can. Can you name five people you love spending time with? Five friends. Very easy. Right. So what's important in life? 
What are you making important in your life? When we stand before God, now look at all these things and look at it from a spiritual mindset. Look at it from God and Christ doing a work in your heart. Are you making a difference as a Christian, as a child of God, if you're not converted, you're still a child of God. Are you making a difference that actually is going to have substance in eternity? And that's the question. What are the substances that are going to count in eternity? When Jesus said there that you have given me water when I was thirsty, you fed me when I was hungry, you clothed me when I was naked, you visited me when I was sick and in prison. Is that you? These are the things that matter. And I'm not like the goats here. It says that those on the, on the left said, when did we not do these things? Now, there's many people, and some of the richest people in the world give a lot of things to charity. They do. But they do not do it because it's a well of living water flowing from them. They don't really care. A lot of them don't care about those people. I'm sorry. Save humanity. Most of those people are the people that destroy humanity that destroy families, that destroy the beautiful things that God holds dear. They don't care about humanity. But it's for you, for us, for the people of God, the children of God, the choices we make that are going to bring and draw people to the kingdom. And I want to challenge us to make good choices, to build on a good foundation, to use good material when we do build, not to feed our flesh, not to lift yourself up, but for something that will stand in eternity. Because we are all standing before God. What's, what's Jesus going to say? Anyway, may God bless you. Um, it's been a tremendous privilege, brothers and sisters, to spend this time with you. Some of you more than others. Um, we do, we do love you, and we do uh, really appreciate you, brothers and sisters. So, may God bless you.